1450 AM, WKXL, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, and 101.9 FM booming into downtown Manchester. It's in touch with Kale and Cormier. Ken Kale and Jane Cormier with you today. And uh, Jane, we have a very special in-studio guest. Yes, we do. It's my pleasure to uh, introduce our guest today, who is Ken Eyring, who and Ken is uh, a president and CEO, or I should say co-founder, excuse me, of the Government Integrity Project, which is a pretty nifty little project I've been reading a little bit about. And uh, Ken, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So, um, as I said, I've been reading a little bit about this uh, newfound organization, and um, I thought it would be really interesting for folks to hear about. So, tell us a little bit. What is the Government Integrity Project? Well, uh, our mission is to hold our elected and appointed officials accountable to their oaths to the Constitution. Mm. We, f- we feel that uh, our government has literally been turned upside down because uh, the people who are serving in government are our public servants, and they've lost track of that. Yeah, indeed. And we, we see that probably in every, no matter what level of government we're looking at, um, that's really obvious to the people that are paying attention. And I dare say even those that maybe in the past haven't been paying attention. Yeah, you know, and it's gotten to the point where even at the very highest levels with Governor Sununu, um, we're being uh, imposed upon, you know, they're imposing their ideologies on the rest of us. You know, take, take it, for example, um, COVID vaccines. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I'm open. If people want to get a vaccine, that's fine. If people don't want to get a vaccine, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But there was an issue uh, in the October 17th Executive Council meeting uh, where there was about 150 uh, American citizens who were there to... Uh, oppose the New Hampshire from taking uh, $22.5 million to set up a statewide COVID database, which would then be shared with the federal government. And it came with strings attached that mandated that we follow the federal government's um, federal policy on uh, handling uh, COVID. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they had at least 80 state troopers in the room. Talk about a police state and intimidation. (laughs) And they arrested, they wound up arresting nine people uh, during the meeting while it was going on. And there were only two that maybe you could justify were disruptive. But that was only after two previous people were arrested without any cause and with any provocation. They were tapped on the shoulder by the state police. They were escorted out of the room. And then once they were out of the room, you could hear one of them say, we're being arrested. And that triggered the other two people and when you go back and you look at the video you can clearly see that all these people the entire room was quiet Mm -hmm. respectful not disruptive the meeting continued without a hitch uh the the uh the governor and the executive counselors uh whoever was talking at the time of the arrest they didn't stop didn't miss a beat so you know clearly there's issues here where when you're pushing your ideologies um you know to the, to the brink, to the point where people are being arrested for no apparent reason. And by the way, the trial is going to be this Thursday. I don't know. I know this really? is recorded, but, uh, you know, the hearing was uh, in December, and the trial is at 8 o'clock uh, in Concord uh, this Thursday. Wow. And, you know, it's important for people to go, uh, you know, to show their support for these people. So I have a question. Why, why would any governor 
for an open meeting, an open citizen meeting to come in and attend, have 80 state troopers at that meeting. I mean, why, why would they? What, what could have been the reason why they would have set up? Now, the room, I saw the video. The room was not, you know, like this greatly, great huge space. I mean, this was a nice-sized room, uh, but that's an awful lot of a, of a police presence. What was the thought behind it? As they were taking people away, I, I sat there thinking to myself, this is what it must have felt like in Nazi Germany in the 1930s. And I know that that's a very dramatic statement, but that's truly how I felt and how others felt in the room. Yeah. It yeah. definitely didn't feel like uh, we're living in a constitutional republic. Tell us about the, the Government Integrity Project. When did it start? Uh, was there a, a specific incident they, that precipitated you founding this organization? Uh, Tom Murray, who's the other co-founder, and myself, we both live in Wyndham. Uh, there's, there's a lot of politics that goes on at the local level and at the state level. And we believe that in order to fix our government, uh, we have to start at the local level. And there's a lot of shenanigans that go on in Wyndham. Um, and they were harassing a local church uh, to the point where he wanted to put up a tent. And they kept delaying, delaying, delaying his permit. They kept uh, having him do uh, you know, one thing, then another, then another. All of the fees and the charges and the prep work added up to over $48,000 of work that he had to do. What? They were still holding back until uh, Tom got involved. Tom's a contractor, so he knows all the rules and regulations. And he schooled uh, the fire department. He schooled the building department and uh, literally went in there and embarrassed them uh, to the point where they issued the permit. But it's, it's notable to point out that there were four other tents in town now that were put up without any permits, without any fees. And the church, once it put its tent up, was charged fees for the space, for the unheated space. Uh, eventually, that was challenged and the money was returned. But clearly, um, this church has been targeted and harassed by the town for uh, at least seven or eight years. And, you know, we said, you know, this has got to stop. This is weaponized government. This is an abuse of power. And these people have to, have to be removed from office. So we started the Government Integrity Project. And in the meantime... Uh, there was an incident in the uh, Timberlane Regional School District back in May, I believe May 20th, where uh, a Sunday school teacher was arrested for not wearing a mask at a, at a school board meeting. I remember hearing that. And, you know, this is, this, these are ideologues in government. This is why I'm upset with, with the governor. And, you know, there's more I want to talk about there, too, because he's, he's targeting our children now with vaccines and there are things that I think are important for parents to hear before they, they make a decision. You know, I just want them to make an informed decision. But, uh, you know, going back to uh, Plastow, uh, not Plastow, the um, Timberlane Regional School District, uh, the, the chairman had this woman arrested. And uh, she happens to serve not only as the chairman of the Timberlane Regional School District, but she also serves on the Danville uh, Selectmen. And they had postponed their election due to COVID from March until July 13th. And this took place about six weeks before. 
This is the town election. This is the town election for selectmen. And, you know, I saw that and I said, you know what? We're going to make a statement here. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna run a write-in candidate against this woman who uh, was running unopposed because this is unacceptable in America. Okay, I'm a little confused, and, and I want to make sure our, re- our, our listeners um, understand. So the woman that was arrested for not wearing a mask, correct? Correct. She's a grandmother of a student in the district. Okay, and, and this is not the same person who was running. That's correct. Okay. Right. So uh, some people in Danville came to us. Uh, they had helped us with the project prior to that in Windham uh, regarding the machines that were audited. Uh, our group spent uh, an enormous amount of time helping that process uh, get approved through uh, the local and the state level. Uh, and so they came to us and they said, look, we have an issue with this woman. You know, she's not representing our town. It's absolutely unconscionable to have somebody uh, arrested, you know, for simply not wearing a mask. So we helped them. Uh, we brought in uh, over the course of six weeks, uh, we had 60 volunteers come. We went door to door. We helped with explain how to do fundraising, where to station people, volunteers to hand out flyers. Uh, we printed flyers. We donated them. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we made phone calls, you know, on their behalf. And uh, when the election came up, I was there. I have a very good relationship with Bill Gardner. The, um, the town um, moderator uh, wanted to set up our group uh, who were holding signs about 50 feet away from the front door, and I said, that's not acceptable. And he said, he determines where the electioneering zone Ooh. is. And my response was, uh, no, the law says, uh, you, you define where the no election the no electioneering zone is. It's 10 feet wide from the door to the parking lot or the sidewalk and or the street. And electioneering can occur outside of that as long as it's safe. And he looked at me and he said, well, you can't stand in front of the building. And I said, um, that's, uh, we had somebody, uh, sta- people standing in front of the building. We had people standing down in a parking lot that was a little bit, uh, you know, it was down and out of the way, but people were coming up from that parking lot, and they were walking through a path where we could not have people handing out literature for our writing candidate, which is really difficult to do. It's really hard for a writing candidate to win. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to give sample ballots to people as they were entering so that they knew how to vote. And what made it even more difficult is that this, this particular woman who was running, uh, she had been appointed, so she was filling out uh, the remainder you know, of, of the term up until the next election and then has to run again. So this mm-hmm. is for a one-year term, so, she, so whoever won would fill out that particular term for that particular seat. So, uh, you know, I had a person standing down at the bottom handing out flyers and explaining to people, you know, how they need to vote for our write-in candidate. And uh, we had someone there for about two and a half, three hours. I went out to buy everybody lunch, and when I came back, our person was gone from their spot, and I had told them, don't you move, because, you know, we need every vote. And when I, you know, walked up, uh, you know, I asked her, I said, why did you leave? She said, you know, the, the moderator said I had to leave, I was breaking the law. So I went inside, I talked to the moderator, and I said, uh, I understand you said one of our people was breaking the law, and he says, they were, and I said, no, they weren't. And he came around to talk to me, and he said, um, he said, uh, you know, you can't stand down at the bottom of the steps. 
And I said, uh, you know, that's, that's an, an electioneering area. So he said, well, let's talk outside. So we went outside, and there's a woman who is wonderful, um, wonderful uh, journalist. Her name is Chow Kelly. She's everywhere, and she videotapes everything and puts it online. And this is, how, this is one of the ways that we can hold people accountable. Um, so Chow was standing inside with me, and I, I pointed to her. I said, Chow, I want you to record this. So we went outside because I want this guy to know. You know, so whatever he tells me, it's yep. going to be recorded. Right. And, you know, I'm not putting up with any BS because I know the laws, too. And I had, I had worked with Bill Gardner for three weeks before I, I sent him aerial photographs from Google Maps. Uh, I identified the areas where we wanted to stand. I had his confirmation that those were legal wow. places. So I knew. I knew going into this. And then the morning uh, of the election... Uh, our people were told you can't stand down there. So I went down and I took pictures and I texted them to Bill Gardner and I said, this is where we want to stand. He said, absolutely, you have the right to do that. So about 1130, 12 o'clock, the guy, you know, we're outside and he's talking and he says, you know, I decide where you can stand and you can't stand there. It's illegal. And I said, that's not what Bill Gardner said. And he said, what? <laughs> I said, I said, I sent him pictures this morning. I asked him if this were legal. He said yes. So he goes, well, let's, let's go talk. Let's go take a look. Okay. So we went, we took a look, and he goes, you can't stand on the steps. And I said, no argument for me. So we walked down the steps, and he goes, points to an area to the right. He goes, you can't stand over here. It's in a parking spot. I said, no argument. You can't stand to the left. No argument. How crazy, huh? He said, you can't stand in the middle here that's striped off because that's the walkway. That's part of the 10-foot no electioneering zone. I said, no argument. So he says, where do you want to stand? I said, we could stand. And I pointed to two spots that were not in those places he pointed to and up on the top of the stairs where there was areas that were safe, not in the parking area. And he said, well, I don't have a tape measure to measure out, you know, five feet from the center. So I said, I have one. And one of the guys on my team said, <laughs> I got a tape measure. And he ran and he got it and came back, <laughs> measured it off. And that was that. Okay. But, but see, if you hadn't pushed it, that person dealing with it would have just had to go and not, not give out the information because they said so. Absolutely. And in addition to that, uh, we would have lost the ability to interface and interact. With the people. Legally with mm -hmm. the people. You know, Bill Gardner pointed out to me language in the law that I had missed when I read it. And the language says that not only do people have a right to electioneer candidates and or their supporters to have an opportunity to present information to people who are going into the poll, the people who are going to vote have a right to listen and engage the electioneers. And the people who are electioneering have a right to be within conversation level distance. Wow. That's five feet, right? That's important, especially if you're running a write-in candidate. You want to make sure that you have an opportunity to get your message across. Because like I said, it's really difficult. You know, a lot of people, you know, need to know who to vote for and why to vote for them. Right. Because, you know, you can't hit the whole town. That's right. So you came well prepared. We did, and we won. Yeah, and you won. <laughs> we did, and it was wow. it, 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 yes. And it, they it, must love you. You know, <laughs> th at the end of the day, the electioneer was great. Yeah. Uh, in the middle of the day, uh, I was talking with Bill Gardner. He had called me and he asked me how's it going. I said it was going well, and the 
the moderator came out and he was given like hourly updates with, you know, this many ballots have been cast and blah, blah, blah. And anybody have any concerns? And uh, I was on the phone at the time with, with, with Secretary Gardner. And, uh, and I said, um, you know, you got a second. And, uh, you know, I said, I got Bill Gardner on the phone. And, you know, prior to that, I asked, I asked uh, Secretary Gardner if he would just confirm with the moderator what the guidelines are for counting the votes for write-in ballot. Does it have to be explicitly written exactly or if their names are misspelled, do the votes get cast aside? Okay, good to know. And Secretary Gardner, I knew the answer, and he confirmed it. He said, he said no. He goes, as long as the intent of the voter is known, if, they, if he puts in the first name and last name, first initial, or first initial and last uh-huh. name, if they Still misspell good. the name, but, you know, phonetically it looks like it's right. probably yeah. what the guy's name is, he goes, you got to count it. So I said, you know what? I said, I don't want to have an issue tonight after 8 o'clock when the polls close and they start throwing out votes because this is really a very difficult endeavor. So um, I, I, I brought him over. His, his name is Barry Hantman, very nice guy, turned out to be a really nice guy. Uh, I handed him the phone and he goes, uh, you know, and he starts talking to him. Bill Gardner asked him, you know, how are you going to determine whether or not a vote goes through? He parroted almost exactly what, what uh, Secretary Gardner did. I had said so I thought that was great and then after that you know I thought it was kind of funny because um, after I hung up the phone um, he said um, Ken is everything okay uh-huh. and I said yeah he goes well, why'd you call Secretary Gardner yeah. and I said I didn't he called me he's like he called you yeah. <laughs> so that's good sign right there right it is a good yeah, sign but you know it. that's what our government is supposed to be like you have you, our elected officials like Secretary Gardner he's the highest ranking election official in the state and he takes time out for someone who gives him a call with concerns about an election that's going mm-hmm. on. I mean, what more can you ask for? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You yeah. were just talking he, about he Bill will, Gunner last week. He will be missed. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, I know uh, David Scanlon will do a, a great job, at least for the next year, to fulfill Secretary Gardner's term. But uh, uh, Bill Gardner was just uh, a legendary for, for so many years here in the state. Yeah, he's, he's an awesome guy. I've got to know him. Uh, him and I actually worked out uh, an agreement. Uh, there was, with the election machines in Wyndham, where there was uh, some dr- dramatic uh, differences between the November 3rd, 2020 machine results and the hand recount nine days later on November 12th. Uh, the, there's four seats open, four Republicans won, four Democrats lost. But the leading vote getter for the Democrats only lost by 24 votes. That was a .005 losing percentage Mm -hmm. so she asked for a recount and uh in the recount uh the four republicans gained 300 votes plus or minus three votes Mm -hmm. and the leading democrat lost 99 votes what so instead of a 24 vote margin it grew to 420 votes 0.005 0.005 grew to 9.6 percent unbelievable in a small town like that right Oh, my gosh, that's crushing. So, wow. And what did they say? Why did that happen? Well, uh, the disappointing part is that the AG's office did not want to investigate it. Oh and they, under the law, they had the right to do so. Uh, our selectmen asked for an investigation. Our moderators asked for an investigation. Our town clerk asked for an investigation. Horrible. Myself, Tom Murray, uh, the GOP chair, Wyndham GOP chair, 
uh, committee and the Democrat, uh, Wyndham Democrat committee chair, all asked for an investigation. Uh, there were other state reps that had asked for an investigation. Nothing. Senator Bob Guida asked for an investigation and nothing. So Senator Bob Guida wow. wrote a bill that uh, we got behind. Uh, I, I was uh, honored to be a part of writing that with Dave Strang and uh, Senator Guida. We probably spent weeks writing it and changing it and you know making it uh, uh, as solid as it, as it could be. And there was a lot of... Um, a lot of concern about whether or not uh, to do uh, an investigation. Uh, but it passed the Senate uh, Elections Committee uh, 24 to nothing, and it went over to the House. And when the bill was written, there was a couple of holes in it uh, that we wanted to see patched up. And there were, there were a lot of reps who wanted to suggest uh, amendments, and they were different amendments. You know, one rep wanted the president's race to be counted. Uh, another rep only wanted the the Wyndham race to be hand counted. Others wanted different things. Uh, some people wanted all the ballots to go through all the machines. Some wanted none of the ballots to go through any of the machines. So the day before the hearing, um, I had never spoken to Bill Gardner before, and God put this thought in my mind, give him a call. And it was about 3.30 in the afternoon, so I did. And I got through to his secretary. She asked who I was. Now, I had been, I, I'm a writer for the Granite Rock. I'm not, I don't write every day. Um, I only write on the issues that, I, that are important to me, but this was an issue that I was writing several times a week and sometimes um, more. And I was flaming the Central Secretary of State's office, I was flaming the AG's office, and I was flaming the governor. We're the first in the nation state. We have an obligation to ensure that our elections are, are accurately counted and that the people serving are the ones that people voted for. So um, I told him, you know, when, when her, his secretary picked up the phone, uh, I didn't want Bill Gardner to be caught off guard. I said, my name is Ken Eyring, and, and I'd like to talk to him uh, about the bill, SB 43. If he has a chance, if he has a few minutes, I'd really appreciate it. So she put me through to someone else, uh, another secretary, and I gave her the same story. And she said, he's on the phone right now. Can he call you back? I said, if, if he would do that, I would very much appreciate it. Um, and then after I hung up the phone, after about two or three minutes, I realized, you know, I've been really hard on him. I wouldn't blame him to not pick up the phone and call me. Yeah. I want to update my message and say, you know, uh, this is a cordial call. I'm not here to be adversarial. I, I simply just want to talk. And when I called back, the same woman picked up the phone, and she said, hold on. She put me through, and I thought it was going to be the secretary again, went right through to Bill Gardner. Good. So we talked for about uh, 20 minutes. Uh, you know, we, we were talking for about 20 minutes, and it was coming up on 4 o'clock. And I'm getting nervous because uh, if anybody has had a, a conversation with Secretary Gardner in the past, you know that he's a historian, and he likes to— he likes to preface all of his positions uh, using examples from history. Fascinating man. I, I have really appreciated the time that I've spent with him, and I actually consider him to be a friend at this point in time. And, um, and, and he's in the middle of a story, and we're getting up about three minutes to four, and I'm looking at the clock thinking he's going home. And I don't know him, but I'm concerned that I haven't even gotten to, to my concerns about the bill that's going to be discussed tomorrow. 
And, you know, I'd like to have a forensic audit on those machines, and I want to make sure that, you know, we get to the bottom of what happened, you know. And so uh, I interrupted him, and I explained to him, you know, my concerns. He goes, oh, no, I'll give you as much time as you need. So uh, we wound up talking until about 7 o'clock that night. Wow. And, um, and at, 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 you know, at one point uh, he had asked me, what is it that I'm looking for to resolve the issue? And I said, I'd, I'd like to do a forensic audit on the machines. And in the beginning, he was opposed to that and also on the ballots, and he was opposed to that. So after about an hour into the conversation, I, I said, you know, uh, Mr. Secretary, I am very honored and I'm grateful that you took the time to talk to me. I'm really disappointed that we couldn't find a common ground, but um, I, you know, I appreciate the fact that you took my call. And, you know, it's too bad that, you know, we're still opposed to, to how to find a solution because it's important to, to satisfy the needs of, everybody, of everybody's concerns that are out there. So he said, well, how about if we print up some, some uh, ballots for you that you can use as tests? And I said, uh, you know, that would be, that, would, that was our plan B. But the problem with that is that after sitting through your hand recount on November 12th, which I believe you did accurately, I said, I can see that there are ballots that are marked with imperfections. The machines are going to read them differently. So even if we tried to, you know, print, if we printed up 10,006 ballots and tried to recreate the election, it's not going to be the right. same because it's right. not the same ballots. Right. And he said, you know... He said, I understand what you're saying. Explain to me what a forensic audit would do. And I went through it, and he, uh, and he goes, and, and after about a 15-minute explanation and who I would bring in, he said, I agree with that. And I was like, really? He said, yeah. So, you know, we did the same thing with the ballots, and, you know, after three hours, you know, he said, who would you pick? So I gave him a couple names of people who had actually done forensic audits across the country and who I trusted because they actually found that they were nefarious uh, malware on some of the machines and they could prove it. So I said, these are the guys I feel comfortable with because they've proven that they would not cover anything up. And he said, well, you know what? Um, he, he goes, those are good. That, that's good. And, and, he, and I said, who would you pick? So he, he named a couple people. And he said, "Let's. Uh, I'll pick one. You pick one, and I want you to pick one." So you know that that's pretty much the gist of uh, you know where we got. And then the uh, the town selectman, uh, one of them who cringes uh, with uh, with the words forensic audit, mm. uh, he got involved, uh, made a big stink, and they modified the bill at the last minute. And uh, uh, unfortunately, the audit became a scam because they didn't do. Uh, much of what they should have done. They did a minimal amount, and they hired three auditors, but all of them had uh, ties to the same verified voting organization, and that's the organization that was against the forensic audit out in Arizona. So, right. And I was there for most of the days when they did it. It, wow. it was disappointing. But anyway, that's the early history of what we do. Wow, and it's quite a history. It certainly is. Quite a history indeed. We had heard about the, the, the Wyndham situation, but didn't know the disparity was as much as it was, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, Ken Irene is with us and uh, fascinating guest president and co-founder of the Government Integrity Project. It's in touch with Kaylin Cormier right here on 1450 AM WKXL, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, uh, 101.9 FM in the Manchester area.
Welcome back to In Touch with Kale and Cormier. Ken Kale, Jane Cormier, Ken Eyring is with us. He is the president and the co-founder of the Government Integrity Project. And uh, we have been uh, talking about the situation that occurred uh, in Plastow in the uh, Timberlane District and also in Wyndham, which when you mentioned the numbers, Ken, just uh, a few moments ago here on, on the show, I think both Jane and I were very surprised to hear what that disparity no, was. Oh my goodness. How did yeah. we not know that? Well, I knew there was a disparity, but, but I just I didn't, didn't know, know it was, that, it was yeah, that much. Me too. Absolutely. I mean, that's just mind-boggling, really. It was the largest numerical discrepancy in the history of the state. and That our, you've caught. And our <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, right. That's, that you've caught. That's true. And, yeah. and, and, and our AG and our governor ignored that and said, there's nothing to see here. Move on. We yeah. have, we have our, our machines work great. Right. Mm. Right. And that, that was said in any number of states. No kidding. Uh, around the country. I mean, the, the truth yeah. of the matter is, is you've shown the precedent that these things don't always work the way they say they're going to. And we've caught, that was one little community, right? Can you imagine what can be happening out there? Right. Horrible. Right. And the problem or the concern is that the machines that are used in Wyndham are the same machines that are used across the state. So if there is a problem with our machines in Wyndham, there could be problems in other towns. So why not look into that? Yeah. It doesn't matter what party you're from. Yeah. Do you want a vote that's skewed improperly? One would think that would be an easy train to jump on. You know, let's fix that big thing right in front of us. Crazy. And you multiply that by any number of states yeah. that have, you know, machines <gasps> operated, you know, have the same operating procedures and what have you. Uh, the forensic audit, can you just tell us a little bit about that, what that would entail? Well, you know, if, if my guys that I had recommended uh, were picked they would come in they would look at they, they would they would copy they would do uh, a mirror of the machines of each machine we have four machines uh, to ensure that they always had the same data as they started and they would then compare the operating systems on each of the machines and all of the programs that were written to actually manage the elections, and those are on the memory cards. So they would compare all of that against each other. They would run all the ballots through all the machines. They would check that all the chips on the machines were seated properly. They would look to make sure there's no modems. Uh, they would make sure that um, you know all the ballots would go through all the machines and compare the results. Now, that's one thing that they did, but they did it in a really bizarre way. They didn't take all 10,000 ballots, 10,006 ballots. It's really 9,926 because 80 of them were UACAVA votes. Those are military ballots, and they don't go through the machines. Those are hand-counted. But, you know, they could have very easily taken all those ballots, fed them through one machine, and then as they're coming out the back, taken them and put them into the next, and then Daisy Chain grabbed the stack and put it into the next and the next. They could do all of them in a day. I guarantee it. But they stretched it out over three days, and they they made it into a process where they were literally – it was almost like a shell game in the beginning because – um, they, took a, they took four stacks, went to machines, and then if one machine was done but no other machine was ready for a stack, they put that in the middle, took another stack, started feeding the first machine that was done, and then when another machine was done, took their 
stack, put it in the middle, then took the stack from the first machine oh my God, and went through a that. Mess. And they're and they're keeping notes on all of this, but it's real easy to, to, to move things around and you really didn't know, you know, what was going on. Right. And you couldn't track it. You know, they allowed observers, but it was really difficult to observe. Yeah, try mm. tracking that. That's exactly right. <laughs> right. You know, and that's just, that's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, they're supposed to have uh, live streaming 24-7. Um, they weren't going to do that at all. That only, uh, only during the audit, and then they were going to leave uh, the machines and the ballots in the room without any kind of, uh, you know, video Protection. on that so that we don't have the... You know, the security to know that nobody went in there and right. did anything overnight. But that didn't happen? Well, no. Well, after – so uh, I had spoken with uh, Secretary Gardner the first day about some issues, and he got some of them resolved. And Senator Guida came down, and he got other issues resolved um, and got the 24-7 streaming uh, set up. And the, 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 the first night that we – that they started to do the work with the machines uh, – the cameras went out for an hour and 20 minutes. What? <clears throat> this is crazy. Are you serious? And when they came back on, uh, Assistant AG Ann Edwards was in the room. Um, so people have concerns about that, and rightly so, because, yeah. you know, when— What was she doing in the room? Did anybody say, how did that happen? Well, she, she, her, her response was that she needed to come down and open up the room for them to— go in and, and address the issue. But, huh. you know, there's... But rega- the cameras re- go off. Regardless. Oh um, it's crazy. There's a lot of issues that came up, and the, the, rep- the forensic report that was produced has a lot of um, non-definitive statements. This could have happened, that could have happened. So um, useless, basically. It, it, yes. And uh, we our group has a team. We've gone through the report. Uh, we have isolated some issues and we'll be releasing something to uh, explain uh, what's not right about that report and what people should have expected and um, I expect there to be some uh, some heads turned when we do that well you've turned turned ours for sure here on uh, <laughs> in touch with kale and Cormier our heads are spinning I think Jane right uh, uh, I, I, I can't imagine that this wouldn't be like a national story because this could actually be, especially since you said that the machines that are used in Windham, right, are national, what, what, we, what we're seeing used nationally, correct? It's, it, no, well, it's across the state and they're used in other states as well. Well, why wouldn't that be a story that every state would be interested, especially if they had these machines, because that could be happening right in their state. That's huge. I mean... All those votes didn't just somehow all get counted wrong. And in a small community where you have tight elections, that switches your vote right there. Never mind the thousands of votes that could go wrong in a city with this. I mean, that's hugely – there's a big target there. Why wouldn't a national – have you tried to get this out to national press? Oh, yeah. We uh, – I had had written – at least a couple times a week during this whole process, and uh, the Gateway Pundit, which is uh, a wonderful, yeah, a wonderful publication, uh, actually uh, printed quite a few of my stories. Okay, as a as so a guest, it was probably out a, there as a guest uh, writer, and um, you know it got a lot of attention, okay. a lot of attention, and uh, and I know that because um, you know quite a few uh, people at at very high s- state 
level um, had said they just want this issue to go away. Yeah, no kidding, because it's an embarrassment for our state first. And we've got such an important place in, in the election you know, history of this, of this country, not to mention state. And here we have the shenanigans, like you said, happening in Man- Anybody that thinks that that's just happening in good old Wyndham better think again, because it's not. Right. And the, the, the thing that's important to consider is that there's one company that programs all the machines in New Hampshire. The same company programs all the machines in Vermont, Maine, Massachusetts, what? Connecticut, Rhode Island. And it's a tiny company. We have no idea what they do when they program the machines. It's, it's checks with no balances. Uh, there's no way that we can know that they program the machines correctly. And I'm not suggesting that anybody does anything nefarious. I'm no, not suggesting no that check. they put malware on it. Yeah. Um, but people make human errors. The mm-hmm. machines malfunction. And, um, but it doesn't, at the same time, it doesn't disprove that there was not malware on the machines. Yep. Right. You know, when you're looking at, at such, at these types of issues, uh, you have to explore all of the different possibilities. And that's what I went over with uh, Secretary Gardner in that three-hour conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I said, Mr. Secretary, I said, I don't believe anything nefarious went on. I believe our machines probably worked correctly in the sense that they were not programmed to work incorrectly, but I think that our machines have an issue, a mechanical issue, because I was there during the recount, and I have great confidence that the recount was done properly because it was not rushed. There were, there were multiple lies on every ballot, and the process didn't move forward until if anybody had a question, the process stopped. It was addressed until it moved on. So, you know, with all of that said... You know, the bottom line is, is that, you know, we have to address all the issues because across the country in, in a half a dozen other states, people are raising concerns in, um, in Arizona, in Georgia, in Wisconsin, yes. in yep. Pennsylvania. I said, I said, Corey Lewandowski, he lives in my town. Right. I said he had, he had a judge's order to get in to watch the counting and they wouldn't allow him in. I said, so there are people who are blaming moderators, they're blaming uh, illegal ballots, they're, they're blaming all of these things. I said, as, as New Hampshire being the first in the nation state, we, dis- we should discredit and prove that none of those things happened here, but we have to address them. We have to have a forensic team, a third-party team working to? independently. So tell me, why wouldn't they want to? Well, I was selectmen, like I said, uh, they didn't want those machines to be forensically audited. Why? You have to ask them. Okay, but you, if, if your hypothesis that nothing nefarious was going on, then anybody that was truly concerned about a fair election would have no problem with right. those machines being looked at. That Doesn't, was my position. Is that yeah. logical? I just, listen, um, people kept trying to put the word fraud into my mouth, and I said, and my response is, I have never used that word. Mm-hmm. I have never used that word. My response is, we had the largest numerical discrepancy in the history of the state, and we don't know why. I want to know why. And mm. the questions that brings, in oh, shame on them. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Ken Iring is with us. And uh, this is In Touch with Kaylin Cormier right here on WKXL. We have to take a quick break and uh, back with more right after these words on 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in the Manchester area, and AM 1450 WKXL. 
Welcome back to In Touch with Kale and Cormier. Ken Kale, Jane Cormier. Ken Eyring is our guest. He's president and co-founder of the Government Integrity Project. He has uh, given us some startling figures here today about the uh, election held in November 2020 in uh, Windham. And uh, I will say, I always say Windham, but since... You say Windham and live there, I'll, I'll go with that. I never know. So, you know, <laughs> much of our national discussion uh, recently has, cons- has concerned uh, voters' rights and uh, the, the fact that, uh, you know, there are some who don't want to have people to, uh, you know, present a government-issued ID uh, when they vote. So uh, what, what is your stand on uh, a government-issued ID uh, in order to vote? You have to show an ID almost everywhere you go. And I think it's insulting to any particular group of people to say that, you know, it's uh, it's voter, well, what's the word they use? Um, suppression, right? Voter suppression. Yeah. Um, no, how about you know, not? The casting a vote is, is an obligation of every American citizen. And the integrity of that vote is of the utmost importance. You want to make sure that everyone who has a legal a legal right to vote are the only people who vote of course and when that doesn't happen then somebody when when somebody votes illegally it 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 cancels out and disenfranchises somebody's vote oh totally yeah do you know yesterday i was watching uh, a news program they had a progressive that was talking about the need to you know squash this idea that we need to have you know, uh, a, a, license, uh, a license, or something that showed, yeah, you know, who ID. you were. Yeah, voter. And yeah. they got pressed on it by the, the the person, the moderator was pressing on, you know, how, how, how inconvenient is that when we have these IDs needed for everything? And this person just, finally the person, the progressive that was trying to say no ID, started talking about college students. The very thing that we were talking about how, you know, we all know that New Hampshire, this domicile definitions thing is there's something really wrong with that right well you know what that scam is like the untalked about bugaboo with the progressives that don't want this those i'm telling you nobody really has said this that i've heard or i haven't read it in print but my my thought is they don't talk about the necessity to have that group of voter be able to to go into any state and vote at anywhere they want, right? Anywhere they want, even if they're not from that state. Because I'll bet a huge, if someone did did a test on that, they would find a huge percentage of the vote comes from people that don't even live in your state. And they have to protect it. That That's the, I believe that that's why there's pushback on no ID. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. who, who are those kids voting for? Most of them. Exactly. Exactly. Have to take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll only have uh, a moment or two with uh, Ken Eyring, who is the president and co-founder of the Government Integrity Project. We'll be right back. It's In Touch with Kale and Cormier. Ken Kale, Jane Cormier on WKXL. Welcome back. We just have uh, a little bit over a minute to go uh, in the program that today. Went too fast. It, it has been going much too <laughs> fast. We could spend a lot of time with Ken Eyring about uh, any number of topics, but uh, you know, vote, voting has certainly been a huge issue mm-hmm. uh, nationally and and locally a, as well. And uh, it, it appears uh, how much 
of the just take Wyndham specifically because that's the one you're most familiar with. How much advance voting or pre-election day voting did they have in Wyndham? Uh, it was about three thousand ballots out of ten thousand six. So but about thirty, about thirty percent. How far how far out were they? How much time did they give them? Is that what you mean? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm not sure. It was weeks. Yeah. yeah. I, I think as long as they have that much time in advance, of course. there's always going to be, you know, some, some problem, some, you know, uh, there's going to be some some talk anyway or some conjecture about how these ballots, you know, of could course. be tampered with. Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, I think, you know, I, I think you have to have absentee voting, mm-hmm. which oh, we've yes. had in the state forever. Absolutely. Uh, but. For a good reason. Absolutely, and yeah. that's different. Yeah. Oh, people, abs- people yeah. are ignorant, you know, about what what that is. Yeah. I think we should have Ken on. Oh, ne- I, the next. How do you think about our next show? I think so. All right. I, and- I, I would hardly agree with that, or or soon anyway. Okay. There you right. go. Okay. There, there you have it. That is in touch. And uh, Ken Iring, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Ken Kale, Jane Cormier signing off right here on WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com.